This is a sermon podcast of the First Baptist Church of Boulogne in Hilliard, Florida. For more information, please visit www.fbcbalone.org. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1. We're going to return right where we left off when we were last together. Um, I tell you, the fall time of the year um, presents a lot of opportunities for us to do some very special and wonderful things. We've had a celebrated Veterans Day uh, last week. We've had homecoming and revival, and these special services uh, are uh, you know, often include having uh, guests to come and to and to preach. And I feel like I have um, missed out a lot. I, I have. It's just good to be back in the pulpit here this morning and. Uh, but I have enjoyed everything that we've uh, been doing over the past couple of months. My wife said, ha- uh, you haven't preached on Sunday morning lately, have you? I said, well, I, it's been a couple of weeks ago, but part of that we missed a few because of special services. And um, I, I'm just glad to be back in the pulpit, glad to be back in this wonderful book. And I, am, uh, uh, I have been really touched by the text that uh, we're going to look at together this morning um, I first, though, want to take a few moments and just share my heart on another matter, uh, at least to catch you up to date on some developments regarding uh, our missions here in our church. A couple of years ago, I presented to you a need of the unengaged, unreached peoples uh, all over the world, and that the uh, large concentration of those groups are located Uh, right in South Asia and in the country of India in particular, that the lost just in that country alone numbers in the billions just in that country. And a large percentage of those billions that are lost have zero access to the gospel, meaning no church, no missionary, no gospel printed information, no radio station, There is absolutely nothing that is available to these people groups in their own language or close to them for them to hear the gospel and then to make a decision to the gospel. And we prayed and we found a group called the Tiwa. They number anywhere from 68 to a little over 70,000. They are a tribal people group. There's not one known believer among them or ever has been that we know of. And we've worked very hard, taken numerous trips to look at a strategy to determine how can we best reach them. Uh, Lately, we have fallen upon hard times regarding our International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. I mentioned just a few weeks ago that uh, because of financial constraints, they are asking for a voluntary retirement of up to six to 800 missionaries to come home. And that's not good. There are some bright sides to that, though. Uh, We are praying right now to open up one of our rental homes to be a permanent residence for one of these families coming off the field. And right now, we're in the middle of that 40-day prayer time, and I hope that you have been praying. On Sunday, December the 6th, we're going to be voting on whether or not to use that home for for just that cause. But in the middle of all of this, uh, affecting our workers in South Asia, something else has developed that has further uh, proven to be hindrance for us. 
it seems that the new government that is in Parliament of India uh, will be enacting some laws that apparently were already on the books, uh, but yet uh, they had not really been enforced. And basically the laws are centered around taxation. Um, and so uh, re- because of these laws, uh, they will be affecting our missionaries, not just Southern Baptists, but other denominations as well. Uh, they'll be affecting, uh, uh, you know, the Free Will Baptist missionaries that, w- that I know that we have there uh, and, and other groups. And it is such a dramatic shift in policy with the Indian government uh, that it looks like next spring it is a very real possibility, real meaning we can talk about it, that there may not be any missionaries left at all in India as of next spring. Because of this taxation and because of the the movement here among Parliament, it has really dampened the efforts that we have going on there. I bring that up because we need to talk to our Father who is in heaven and ask Him what we need to do. We need to ask Him to uh, have His hand upon this Indian Parliament to change some things and hopefully... um, bring an end to what may look to be a, a, a very real issue of, of bringing an, an end to mission work there. And so uh, I'm going to ask you to just lift up uh, South Asia and India. I'm going to ask you to be praying for our personnel there and, um, and then pray for us as well. Um, I do not have enough relevant information to, uh, to bring to you to figure out if we need to change course in our, issue, in our international uh, outreach. But as soon as we have enough that can, can affect some shift among us, then I will bring it to you. But please be in prayer for our personnel. Please pray for the International Mission Board. And please pray for India. Uh, when you consider these facts and you look at what has happened over the course of this past weekend in Paris, France, uh, you and I ought to be left with just one absolute conclusion, that Satan is real. His work is real, and he will do whatever he can to hinder the work of the gospel. Something else is staring us right in the face as well. I believe the church right now is going to be challenged on whether or not we really have what it takes to stand up for the gospel. We have been in the Western church. We have been blessed, I think, possibly too much. We have become comfortable We have become used to having our wants and our wishes fulfilled. We have become so used to our comfort and um, having things the way that we want them to be that we can't imagine that something that traumatic happening overseas could happen here. Well, the same Satan and the same demonic power that's at work in Paris and in South Asia is still at work here. And he's going to do whatever he can to make you turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to the gospel and to the fact that you have a mandate to be a part of the missionary uh, uh, call that God has given to each and every one of us. With that in mind, I'm going to ask you a question. Think with me for a moment about this. What does it mean to be ashamed of someone? Have you ever said to anyone, I am ashamed of you? 
I am so ashamed of you. Have you ever said that to someone? Have you ever wondered uh, when you've heard that, what did it take for someone to be in that position? Sometimes you, in child rearing, a parent may want to say, I am so ashamed at what you have done. Normally, that word is accompanied by something that happened that has been contrary to a person's teaching or some expectations that you may have of, of your children or, or a coworker, just something. Yeah, I'm just so ashamed at what you did. I can't believe you went and did, and you fill in the blank. Well, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. As we are beginning our journey in this first Corinthian letter, we have a group of people here that is not unlike us. We have way more in common with the Corinthians than, uh, than what we sometimes think. We are born again from sin. We have ongoing issues in our lives. We are uh, the pottery on that wheel in which God is still turning and molding us and making us into what He wants us to be. We don't always get along. We fight, we argue, we bicker, we want to have our way. We complain and we'll gossip and we'll do all that stuff. We, we are just like the Corinthian church. Now, I believe one of the big points about this letter, and I have been kind of presenting this in every one of my sermons, is that if you, if you follow along, if, if you were to read ahead, and I would encourage you to do that, you will notice that Paul is helping them to realize in the first section of this letter about the significance of the gospel and what it means. What is its implications to our life? You see, sometimes we may have the erroneous thinking that, well, all I have to do is to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior get saved, quote-unquote, or get baptized and join the church, and that is it. I have responded to the gospel as if it's a past-tense-only type of deal. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul indicated to us that he is not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. His interaction with the gospel means that it's not just in the past when you were saved and you were justified, but is actually always ongoing. You always have a relationship with the gospel. You have an encounter every single day with the cross of Christ. You are challenged every single day with what you are going to do with the cross of Christ. In other words, you can wake up and say, well, Lord, you saved me. Thank you, Lord. I'm just going to go on about my day. And you think of it no more. Speak of it no more, and maybe to some degree you live it no more. But the moment you realize yourself is in sin, and you approach the throne of grace, and you pray for forgiveness, and you thank the Lord for your salvation, and then the same routine goes on and on. 
For others, you may come here on a Sunday, you'll dress yourself up and give on a great appearance on the outside, but on the inside, you're just a mess. You've got drama and issues of life. You've got things that are beyond your control. You've got things that people have said to you, done to you, things you have said to others or done to others. But yet you just come here because at some time in your past, you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've been baptized. Your name is on the church roll, and you're just going to come because it's just what I'm supposed to do. The preacher just prayed about it, and, and, and we know the Bible says we're supposed to come to church. So that's why I'm here, giving no thought about why we are supposed to be here. We're just like the Corinthians. We're just like them. And in our text this morning, Paul is going to continue to drill into their heads that the gospel is not only significant, it is supreme. And everything in your life, listen to me, everything in your life right now November the 15th, 2015, everything in your life revolves around the cross. You cannot divorce anything in your life apart from the gospel. And as you go out this afternoon into this world, you're going to carry some truth about the gospel with you that I want to make sure is plain to you today. And it's going to have some implications Paul is going to give us three things that to, to, be on, uh, to, to be aware of. So let's read the text together. Would you stand together with me? And, and let's, uh, you can follow along as I begin in verse 18. And we're going to read through the end of the, the chapter. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There you go again. It is the power of God. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Verse 20, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. And, and, and kind of a parenthetical statement here, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of a, a noble birth. But God chose what was foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to Shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, 
righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Say, Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, we would become fools today. I pray, God, that we would be willing to just jettison and get rid of, to put away everything in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts that makes us think that we are somebody apart from you. Help us, God, to realize that you have saved us for a reason and that you have designed salvation for a reason. To glorify yourself. I pray, God, that the truth of your word and the truth about the gospel being described in your word this morning would have its effect in our hearts and lives and that it may be lived in Jesus' name, may you have your blessings upon this sermon as it's preached. Amen. You can be seated. So you're going to go out here today. You're going to go to work tomorrow. You're going to go to school. You're going to go run your errands. You're going to go do this. You're going to go do that. And, and you're going to enjoy the fact that you are redeemed. You're going to enjoy the fact that you're saved. And you want to share that. You want to make that known, right? I hope you do. I, I look for, for really creative ways just to kind of make a gospel uh, presentation or to just at least talk about the things of God. There's questions that I'll ask when I'm at, uh, I'm at uh, Winn-Dixie. I'm at the shopping mall there in Hilliard, uh, you know, Dollar General. And uh, I'll, I'll be there. At the, at the cashier, and, and uh, I'll just say, hey, um, has, has anyone told you that God loves you? No, not, not today. They haven't. Let me tell you how much he loves you. That's, that's it. I'll ask somebody, this is a good one, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Are you sure? And they, look, they always look at me really weird. I think some of the cashiers know me. When I come in, they, they say, oh, there's that crazy guy who wants to know if I'm really doing all right. Because he's going to want to talk about Jesus. I mean, it's kind of easy, but when we really get to the heart of the gospel, we kind of clam up, don't we? You know? We'll just talk about, oh, he's good, or I'm just blessed, you know, come to church with me, whatever, and all those things are great. But I just wonder how many times just somebody's waiting to tell them about Jesus. I had a conversation just a few weeks ago, young girl, Dollar General. Um, and I've actually been able to follow up on this conversation. I was just talking with her one night, and, and we're, you know, had my items there to get on the milk and all the stuff, you know. And uh, somehow when I asked her what she was doing or how she was doing, she mentioned about college. I said, well, what do you want to do? And she said something regarding uh, media and, and movie production and television and all that stuff. I said, that is great. I said, have you got a college picked out? And she was kind of hem-hawing, didn't, didn't really know about where. I said, I said, if you find a place, you go for it. I said, you can do this. I said, if, if it's God's plan for you, you better do it. I said, have you ever thought about what God's plan is for your life? And there before me stood a young lady. And the look in her eye, I could read two things. Number one, nobody had ever asked her 
or even mention her that God had a plan for her life. But number two, she was wanting to hear more. And I've seen her and have had subsequent follow-up conversations with her. And we're talking about the exact same thing. Now, at the end of that series of conversations, I mean, my, my prayer is that she will uh, hear the gospel proclaimed okay, and that she would respond favorably. Not everybody does that, though, you know. Not everybody responds favorably. And that's why we kind of clam up. That's why we, we kind of focus in on ourselves, don't we? We just, we just kind of want, I just want me. I just want what's, what's going for me and, and whatever. And I just want to get my little holy huddles. I, I, I want to surround myself with people who are like me, who think like me, who will agree with me in my circumstances in life. I just want that. Okay? I can understand that to a degree. I, I mean, I think we all can agree that we want folks around us who see our point of view from time to time. But when we said yes to Jesus, did you realize you were saying yes to a very dangerous thing? Did you realize that you were saying yes to something that is going to change the world? Let me give you three things I want you to think about regarding the gospel. The title of this sermon is called Fools, Friends, and Faith. We're going to touch a little bit on, on all that in this text. See, in this text that we read together, we're going to see the nature of the gospel. And what Paul wanted the Corinthian believers to really understand what it means to live out a, a gospel-centered and gospel-driven life. Number one is this. The gospel will always be polarizing. Always. You will never, you will never have just a, 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 a soft approach to the gospel and, and people would say, oh, that is so sweet. That's such a nice thing. I, that's really cool. Now listen to the text. For the word of, of the cross is folly to those who are what? Where it says perishing. But to us who, have been, who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now that's a verbal clue that Paul is putting in there to let you know that you're not working for your salvation, but your salvation is more than just a one-time deal. Every single day, you have decisions to make about how you will follow Jesus. Every single day, you will have a decision to make about how you will be either faithful to Him or faithful to the world. He says, it is written. And he's quoting here in Isaiah, chapter 29, verse 14, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. You know what that really means? It means you are not smart enough to outsmart the gospel. It means that no one is smart enough to outsmart the gospel. It also means that people won't always get us. Now, there's a lot of people who know me that think I'm weird just because of who I am, and that's okay. I don't mind being weird, but even more people think I'm weird and think I'm nuts because I follow Jesus. Has anybody ever thought you weird or thought you nuts for following Jesus? Yeah. I actually hope they have because it means the gospel is at work in your life. As a matter of fact, it's been that way all throughout history. You, know, you could take a tour of Rome, and there's a particular place uh, uh, in, in Rome, in the city, that dates back to centuries and centuries and centuries. 
even back to the first century. And there is a drawing on one of these walls that's kind of obscure, and you have to kind of search out to find it, but it's there. And, there, and here it is. It's a, an inscription of this, uh, of this figure. It's, it's a body of a man, but he's on, he's on a, head of, a head of a donkey. So you can, you know, arms and legs, but it's the head of a donkey, and he's standing before a crucifixion. And underneath, in Greek, is this inscription, Alexamenos worships his God. You see, that's how people see you and I. They see us as fools. They, they see us as sometimes those who just, we don't have it all figured out. We're not smart. Or, that's the way we've always been perceived. But that's the way the gospel was designed. The gospel was designed to be smarter than worldly wisdom. The gospel was designed to go against every worldly standard that we like to even operate by. Did you know that? We are so driven by by earthly justice. We are so driven by by certain standards, and, 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 and we like certain things a, a certain way, we always think our way is better. Look at verse 19. I'm going to destroy the wisdom of the wise. That's a promise from God. You think you're smart. You think you've got what it takes. You're destroyed. I'm just telling you. The way you think is wrong. And the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart it. You see, you think earthly standards and guidelines. You think that earthly wisdom is going to save you? No. You see, even in the New Testament, you can read through the Gospels, Jews were wanting signs, you remember? Right? There's a whole discussion with Jesus about the, 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 the sign of Jonah. Right? You see how that worked out. Greeks, they wanted wisdom. They wanted elo- eloquence. They, they really wanted all of that. that. That wasn't working. You see, to them, the Gospel sounded weak, and it was unimpressive. Weak and unimpressive. What does it take to impress you these days? Hmm? Have you ever thought, what what do you really define as strength? What do you really define as those things that are strong and those things that are wise and smart? What, What pictures come to mind? If you look at verse 24... But to those who were called, Jews and Greeks, you know, Jew or Gentile, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. Everybody's going to have a response to the gospel. It's, it's going to be a yay or a nay. It's going to be yes or no. But when you sing that song, I'd rather have Jesus, are you just accepting what he's going to do for you? Or are you accepting what he is going to do through you? You see, I've accepted the Jesus, and I believe the Scripture teaches the only Jesus to accept the Jesus that will do something for me, that has become my Savior, but He's also become my Lord. He's going to do something through me, and I have been commanded to follow His teaching. I have been commanded 
to do his bidding. I have been commanded to preach and teach to the nations, and so have you. But are you ready for a gospel that will be polarizing? Are you ready for a gospel that people will ridicule you over? I wonder how, if we were to kind of get along together. Have you ever been ridiculed for the gospel? I have. I was in high school. And I had a practice. I, I just like to carry a Bible with me. Uh, I just carried it with the rest of my books. And uh, uh, I had a kid. His name was BJ. BJ was kind of a tough guy, you know. Um, played football, fished, hunt. I mean, did, just did guy stuff. A loss as a day is long. He came to me one day, he said, you really carry a Bible with you everywhere you go. Why in the world would you do something that silly? It's because of who I follow. I, I, you know, I was trying as best as I could, and being a teenager, being a Christian at the same time is, is not easy all the time. But I felt it was a way for having that word of God right there. I felt like it was, it was a way for me to keep the things of Jesus kind of fresh on my mind. And he didn't want any part of it. How do you respond when someone rejects the gospel that you have proclaimed? Have you ever thought about what they're rejecting? Are they rejecting you or are they rejecting the gospel? For the Corinthians, they had to understand that if they wanted to make a difference in this world, if they wanted to kind of get above and make a difference and make a statement for what God had done for them, and let me tell you, God had done some amazing things for them and redeemed them from some pretty horrendous ways of living, they had to understand that at some point in time they were going to be rejected. Are you okay with rejection? Or do you like your popularity too much for the gospel to be on your lips? Number two, the gospel will always serve a purpose. It will serve a purpose. Look at verse 26. He said, consider your calling. Now, he's not talking to some obscure group. He's talking, listen, this word is meant for you. You have a calling from God. Did you realize that? Just like I have a calling from God to be a minister of the gospel in a local church, you have been called as well. And in your calling, in your vocation, it is a ministry. And I hope that each and every one of you see what you do every single day. You see it as a ministry. You can be a minister as a student, as a school teacher. You can be a minister in, 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 the, in the grocery store. You can be a minister in the pharmacy. You can be a, a minister driving. You can be a, a, a minister in your office. And you can be a minister in that little cubicle. You can be a minister everywhere you go. Why? Because the gospel has called you. It's not just saved you, it has also called you. Paul says, consider your calling. Brothers, not many of you were wise. Amen to that. We're, we're not always the sharpest knives in the drawer, are we? I mean, I'm not. I don't always get it. You don't either. Not many of us were powerful, right? There's not any Rockefellers in here, okay? I mean, we just don't have that kind of influence in the world. Not many of you were powerful or wise. 
Not many of you were of a noble birth. I don't know of any kings and queens or, you know, prince or princesses in here. Okay? So none of you are regal. But God chose, let me say this, He chose you. He chose you because we're foolish. We're foolish. He chose what was foolish in the world to shame the wise. I don't have to be eloquent in my speech. I don't have to worry about making the right decision all the time. I'm just going to worry about making sure that Jesus is exalted everywhere that I go. I'm going to worry about what, 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 what worries him. I'm going to be concerned about the things that concern Jesus. I may not wear the right clothes. I may not do the right things. I may not be in the right social circles. I may not call the right people. I may not hang out with the right folks. I may not do the right things. And neither will you. That's just because we're foolish. But God has chosen us to shame the wise. Because one day, I'm telling you, church, one day will come When they're going to wish we had what we had. They're going to wish that, that, that they had listened to the message we have proclaimed. You see, God chose, look at verse 27, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You know what I love? I love to see God at work. I, I love it. And, and, and let me kind of break it down into a, a kind of a modern illustration. There's, there's discussions all over like forums and, and podcasts about, uh, about church leadership and how do we plan for certain things. And it used to be that we used to have all these long-term plans and long-term agendas, things of that nature. And, and I guess to a degree that, that's fine. But you know, I, I think a more biblical trend has been emerging over the past five, six, seven years. And that is, you know what, let's, let's do what we know is right. Let's keep our eyes and let's keep our focus on the things that truly matter in life. And let's let God worry about some of the other things. And as he brings things together, Romans eight twenty eight, then we can deal with those things as God leads us. That was one of the kind of fundamental things in our discussion about how do we view leadership in the church? How do we view service to the body of Christ and to our community and to the world? And it's leading us up to a, a great vote tonight and to what I believe is an excellent course and an excellent direction for us to find a place for every member of our church to find, listen, you know what our tagline is and our sign over in Brandon Hall? It's on our, it's on our bulletins, a great place to call home. Now, I don't know about any of y'all's responses, but I believe that. But how in the world can we get everybody here? What way is there that we can take every member that is on our role and find them a meaningful place to serve the Lord, the body of Christ, and the local church? Because here's what I believe. What God has called, and He has called you, if you're born again, what God has called, He's equipped you for something. Do you realize that God has put something in your heart and in your mind to give to everybody else in this congregation and to give to the world? And He's, he's done the same thing for the Corinthians. But they were worried about their birth. They were, they were well, 
we're not like them, you know. I mean, they've always had money. They've always had power. They've always had influence. They can do anything they want to. They can get on the radio stations and reach all of Jerusalem if they wanted to. Jesus says, don't you worry about any of that. You've got the Savior who created everything. (laughs) You've got me. Christ in us, the hope of glory. You've got me. Don't you worry about the money in your pocket. Don't worry about the home you live in. Don't worry about who your mom and dad and grandparents were. Don't worry about any of that. You just let Jesus be Jesus, and he'll take care of the rest. You see, it serves a purpose. And we fight, listen, we fight so much the issue of performance, don't we? Hey, pastors fight it all the time. You know, two big things in a pastor's life, if we ain't careful, starts with the letter N. You know what they are? Nickels and noses. Those are two big concerns on our heart if we let it. And you and I can be concerned about our health. We can be concerned about our paychecks. We can be concerned about all these things that are so temporal. And we try to work, 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 and we'll judge each other based upon the work they're doing or the work they're not doing. We just, we just want to outshine everybody else. But that's the problem. If we're truly to be the light of the world, I don't want to outshine you because you got the same light in you that I've got in me. We're going to just shine together. Years ago, pop star Madonna was in a Vanity Fair article, and she said something that was kind of profound that uh, we want to shake our heads at, but we know deep down inside we've been guilty of the same thing. She said, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. Have you ever felt that way? I bet you have. But what are we willing to sacrifice, and what are we willing to do about being mediocre? Because, see, it it turns the question from all about Jesus to all about us. Now, I don't serve a mediocre Savior. So I'm pretty sure that if a a non-mediocre Savior has been in my heart and in my life and I'm living for Him, i got a feeling I'm not going to live a a mediocre life because I'm living for a non-mediocre Savior. Did that make sense to (laughs) y'all? It makes sense to me. All I'm saying is is I'm not going to worry about my place and my lot. God has me where he wants me. God has you where he wants you. God has us together for a reason. Let me say that again. God has you here for a reason. Think about it. Think about the day you were born, and there's so many different dates. Think about the location. There's so many different places where we've come from. And on November the 15th, 2015, God has decreed that we all be here together this Sunday. And most of you here, the prime majority of you here, you are members of this church. And God has put you on the membership roles of this church, elected me as a pastor and you guys to be together to serve for a purpose. I'm telling you, we need not live life any longer realizing or wondering if we're ever going to make a difference in this world. You know what we just do? We just need to ask God, when and where, Lord? When and where? That's all we do. Notice I didn't say how much. I've always believed that if we ask God when and where, 
We're in God's will. And if it's God's will, it's God's bill. And he always pays on time. Always. He'll always supply our needs. So not only does the gospel serve a purpose, but finally the gospel will always be centered on the person. And this is where I, I hope that you just kind of let this sink into, uh, just as the other two points, but the, right here, okay? Listen, God doesn't want you to have a slick tongue to present the gospel. He doesn't, he, it does not require a certain slick outline because at the end of the day, the gospel is not the outline. The gospel is not necessarily our conversation. The gospel is all about a person, and that is Jesus Christ. Notice the very last verse that we read together, verse 31, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Now, back up to verse 30, and that's actually a very controversial verse amongst us preachers and theologians. Look at this verse together. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who came, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What he's talking about is that inner working of Jesus in us, Okay, and, and I'm going to tell you, man, we're still having these conversations and writing books about how that all works. But at the end of the day, Paul just simply explains it by verse 31. He says, listen, at the end of the day, as God is doing all of that, verse 30, in you, at the end of the day, all you have left to do is just do verse 31. Let he who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let me kind of give you some, some practical kind of, kind of hands-on stuff. As I said, uh, a lot of pastors we talk about in church leadership, we talk about how far do we plan? What kind of things do we plan? What kind of things do we do as a congregation to, to look out far ahead? But sometimes God just brings certain events together, and they may seem sad on the, uh, you know, in, in, on the outset. They may seem heartbreaking on the outset. But wait a minute. Maybe God is doing something in world history with us right now. And he's got some big plans for us. Let me give you an example. How many of us have been praying since July 26 for revival? We all have, right? You've been here on Sunday nights with me. You've been praying. I was talking with one of our personnel this past week in South Asia over the phone. And here's what we've concluded. That in about six months to nine months, uh, depending on how this transition occurs, we will have six to eight hundred missionary families to come back to the western church to disperse themselves among six to eight hundred southern baptist congregations who are on fire for the gospel and have a lot of stories to tell you about how we can make a difference in this world maybe part of our prayer has been the decision to bring home some missionaries to help us and encourage us to do more for the lost right where we are and also around the world. Maybe, just maybe. In various team meetings that we've been having with our, our bylaws, we're going to be talking about that tonight. And with our, our uh, nominating team, you know, we, we have been praying. I mean, literally, this has been months in the making. This has not, not been an overnight decision by any stretch of the imagination. And something that we've noticed is it just seems like God was just doing a work and making some decisions for us. It was just like wisdom just came from him that we didn't have amongst ourselves. doesn't mean we're always perfect, but here's what it does mean. Here's what it does mean. Listen to me very, very close. Listen, listen, this is good. You might as well write this down. Every time I've trusted in Jesus, he's never let me down. 
every single time I have trusted in the Lord, every single time I have waited upon the Lord, every single time I have just wanted God to move, He has never, ever let me down. And He will never let you down. He will never let this church down. All we must do is we must say, when and where, Lord? When and where? God, when do you want me? Where do you want me? And God, I am there. That's what our response must be. That is a foolish concept to a working world who says you're going to only get what you're going to get in life by working hard and working a 40-hour-plus week. That's how you get things. That's, that's how you just need a good retirement. I've already got my retirement. I, I pray. Listen, I, I, I have prayed before. That I'll die with my boots on. I want to die serving the Lord somewhere. When and where, Lord? When and where? World does not like those questions. It is foolish to them. But to those who have experienced the power of God unto salvation, those are sweet words to us. And they're wise words for us. It was a song that, back when I was starting student ministry, I like to say I was as much on fire then as I am now, or as much on fire now as I was then, foolishly on fire. I went to a, a, a convention, it was a, it was a youth convention for youth, for youth pastors and student workers, and it was a nationwide thing, it was, it was in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, it was in 1996, I believe it was, and they had a theme. I've still got the placard of that theme. It's in my office, in my file. It says, only a fool. And that theme was based upon this text that we looked at together this morning. It was a, a Christian artist that was well-known at the time. His name was Jeff Moore. And I don't know, you may or may not remember him or his songs, but he was very well-known at the time. And he had a song that he wrote especially for that convention. And I've debated on how to share it with you. I wanted to play the CD. I was like, no, I've got a video. No, I'm just I'm going to recite the words because they're kind of etched into my mind. He says, Charlie was a fool. Did you hear what he went and did? He quit his job, threw it away, and gave his life to a bunch of kids. They said that he, or he said that he was in love with Jesus, but his friends called him a fool. They didn't understand. He saw the big and the small. He saw the beauty in the call. Even when no one else approved, he took the job only a fool would do. Second verse, Sarah was a beauty queen. A miss, something or other. She took off her crown threw it away, and gave her life and a mission to others. She said that she was in love with Jesus, but her friends didn't understand. They said she would never find happiness. She just looked at them and smiled and said that she already did. She chose the big and the small. She chose the beauty in the call. And even when no one else approves, she took the job only a fool would do.
show me, show me the beauty in that call. Show me the big in that small. And even when no one else approves in my life, I still want to take the job only a fool would do. I don't think ever before in our lifetimes have we ever seen the impact on what the gospel can make. Right now, in the way the world is turning, right now I'm telling you, we are seeing a, an unprecedented time where the gospel is being responded to. And it's being responded to the same way exactly how the scripture said it was going to be. For some, it's going to be foolish. And they're going to reject it. But for others, they're going to see its beauty because it is the power of God unto salvation. So what is it to you? That's my first question to you. What is it to you? And then if you know deep down in your heart, if you know without a shadow of a doubt in your mind that you know that the gospel is firmly planted in your life, that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, wonderful. If you haven't, please make that decision here today. Please do not leave this service. Don't leave this auditorium. Don't, be, don't, don't go anywhere else until you come down this aisle and I will take you by the hand and I will show you in the Word of God how you can make Jesus your Savior and Lord, to forgive you of all of your sins, to give you eternal life and heaven forevermore and hope in the life that you're living right now and to give you a purpose and to establish the calling that God has for your life. The second question is going to be the, the what and where. If you're following Jesus, that's, that's your next set of questions, what and where. What do you want me to do, God? Where do you want me to go to do it? what and where. To the world, it's going to be foolish. But for God, that's true wisdom. True wisdom. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to have our musicians to come. and Brother Lynn, they're going to get ready to prepare for us to sing a, a hymn of response. We're going to be singing all to Jesus. I surrender. It means you give up. That's what surrender means. I give up. Now, that's a good give up because some people here this morning, they're ready to give up because they're just tired of fighting and, and, and just sick and tired of being sick and tired. What about a surrender that says, Lord, I'm tired of trying to be right all the time. I'm tired of trying to sustain an image that gives me out. I am tired, God, of of trying to get things my way and, and try to get people to, uh, on board with me. And I'm, I'm tired, God, of wanting my way. God, I'm surrendering and I'm giving myself to you. You tell me what to do, God, and you tell me where to go to do it. I am now yours. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the First Baptist Church of Boulogne in Hilliard, Florida. For more information, please visit www.fbcboulogne.org.